Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your Wednesday host, Aaron Hook. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. This is indeed your Wednesday edition of Offsides, and I am once again your host, Aaron Hook, back here uh, on the 21st of September, a couple minutes past 5 o'clock here in Glassboro. I am joined by uh, some fantastic, some phenomenal, some some very well-put-together gentlemen in our sports department, Nick Carlson, Kobe O'Brien, uh, blushing uh, on the other side of the glass from me in the conference studio, and I have our sports director, Mr. Danny Ryan across from the desk uh, from me here in the uh, WGLS production studio. And boys, we have a lot to get to today, or I guess I should say a lot that I would like to uh, get to today. I'm not sure we'll get to everything. Um, Actually a pretty busy news day, you know, for really um, kind of the dead period we're still in uh, for the NBA and the MLB season obviously winding down the regular season, that is. Pretty busy news day, a lot to cover, but we are going to start um, on the same note that we did last week, and that is talking about the NFL. Obviously, uh, season is fully underway at this point. I, I feel like that's a, a cliche I'm going to use until like week four, but um, week three starts tomorrow, and it does kick off in Cleveland. Uh, Nick Carlson's Browns will be uh, hosting the Steelers. Browns coming off that heartbreaking loss to the uh, New York Jets in the final minute and 30 seconds. They allowed two touchdowns. And so they sit at 1-1. One one. They had a chance to go 2-0 and for the first time since 1993, and they just couldn't get it done. But, look, they did a quick turnaround. Uh, that's what Jacoby Brissett was talking about after the uh, the Jets' loss on Sunday. Except they really have no choice now. Um, if you're the Browns, to, to kind of turn around and have that quick reversal on a short week and, and get yourself together. Now, we know that, obviously, the offense is a bit limited with Brissett at quarterback, um, but you know, to be honest, in that first half of the game last Sunday against the Jets, they really kind of relied on Brissett, especially in that first half when the running game wasn't really working. Now Nick Chubb ended up with three touchdowns, and him and Kareem Hunt really got going out of the backfield in the second half, but you know, going up against a tough Pittsburgh defense, obviously, it's it's just been known year in and year out that Mike Tomlin has, has churned out these terrific defenses. The Browns are going to have to run the ball pretty heavily, I think, all night long. And, and Nick, I'm going to start with you, you being the Browns fan. Kind of your takeaway, I guess, from, from Sunday and how you think the, the game plan is going to look for Kevin Stefanski's team going up against a, a tough Pittsburgh team. Obviously, you know, whenever these two teams match up, it's it's a dogfight. Yeah, well, that Jet game really, really hurt. I mean, I stopped watching the game after... As did I. I after <laughs> Chuck scored. And the next thing I know, I get the notifications that the Jets came back, and it's just... It's heartbreaking to see, but at the same time, as a Browns fan, you don't have those expectations that they're going to do that well just because Jacoby Brissett is still the quarterback. Deshaun Watson not coming back till Week 13. I wouldn't say that they're completely limited. You still have the best running back kind of tandem in the league in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. We saw it. That offensive line is still pretty good. It's going to be a dogfight, but T.J. Watt's not there on that defensive line, and Jacoby Brissett is just going to have to kind of manage the game. Kevin Stefanski's done a good job of kind of calling plays. This is going to be a very low-scoring game because both offenses are not that good, very defensive. 
I don't really know who could win it. It's just kind of kind of be whoever can run the ball better. Mm-hmm. You still have Najee. You still got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt still running the ball for both teams. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think at this point, you could probably make a case with with Jonathan Taylor and, and Derrick Henry not really having the the or I I <laughs> say the early season production. It's been two games, but you know, at this point, you could probably argue that Nick Chubb has a taste to be the best running back in the NFL, right? I mean, last year he was kind of up there. He had his name in kind of the top three or four conversation. But right now, I think with the start that all these bats are off to, you could probably make a taste for Chubb being number one. I I would think so, Nick, right? Well, I'd say, especially behind that offensive line and the fact that they're leading the majority of games that they've kind of played only two games in. And one was against the Jet team, who I was annoyed when the Jets even scored a point. I was like, this Jets team with Joe Flacco really should not be driving the ball down the field. But the Colts offense with Jonathan Taylor... I mean, Matt Ryan's really holding back that offense. Derrick Henry and the Titans, they're a mess right now. Yep. So really, Chubb, I guess you could say McCaffrey on the Panthers, mm-hmm. but he really is not at the level of what Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt have been able to do. Right, and uh, we'll get to the Titans in in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, even McCaffrey, more of a more of a receiving back. Obviously, he's still a great runner um, when you hand him the football, but uh, you know, he's kind of his specialty is being that kind of um, weapon as a receiving back. And there's been talks for years that he could probably play slot right, uh, wide receiver and be a, a really darn good one. So pretty interesting conversation there. But Kobe, you know, again, Nick was talking about how it's really going to come down to who runs the ball better. And Nick Chubb is off to a fantastic start. Najee Harris, his production uh, hasn't been where it was last year. And so, you know, it is going to be a dog fight. We know that Cleveland and Pittsburgh always is. It's going to come down to the run game. And despite all this, it's really kind of interesting to look at the quarterback matchup, right? Because you have Brissett, kind of a journeyman guy, um, obviously filling in for Deshaun Watson until he returns from suspension in Week 13. Uh, that's against Houston, his former team. But Jacoby Brissett is the man right now uh, and going forward um, for Cleveland. And then on the other side, you have Mitch Trubisky, who comes to Pittsburgh, signing a deal this offseason after he backed up Josh Allen last year in Buffalo. And, you know, like, he looked good in that backup role, but... It's still it's still kind of the Mitch Trubisky we 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 know um, we've come to know can't really push the ball downfield now he's a, he's got some athleticism that's kind of his mo right I mean he's a play action boot threat he's a guy who can make some moves in open space and he does use his athleticism to make plays so you know he and Brissett are not really similar in that way Brissett is an athletic guy too but he's kind of your more traditional drop back guy and so. It's weird to kind of look at the quarterback matchup despite all the things going into this game that are probably going to play a larger role. But when you look at those two, who do you think kind of gives their team a better chance? I guess it really comes down to who's going to be uh, more mistake-free in the end. I think it's going to be Brissett that makes the least amount of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I saw him play the Panthers in week one, and he's he's a very smart quarterback. He does his job as a game manager, which is give the ball to Chubb and get out of the way. With the occasional, you know, short pass, not making any like wrong decisions, with turnovers, and he he makes the right reads. So I think when it comes down to it, I think Brissett is the smarter quarterback, mm-hmm. and Trubisky's just not good, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't think he's he has, like he's going to depend on Najee a lot, mm-hmm. and he's struggling this year. Yeah, and, and last year, I mean, Pittsburgh with Big Ben, who, I mean. You know, at that point, he he was like a fossil last year. They you saw how much they relied on Najee then. Obviously, you have Trubisky again. He's way more of a threat to make plays and extend plays with his athleticism than Ben Roethlisberger. But you're right; they're going to rely on the run game a lot. And 
their backups behind Najee Harris aren't exactly all that impressive. And so Harris is going to get a, a ton of touches in this game. So it'll be kind of interesting. Danny, what say you about the quarterback matchup? Brissett so far this year in two games, uh, he's 40 of 61. So just under two-thirds of his passes he's completed. 376 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Um, and against the Jets, he went for 174 yards and that one touchdown he threw to uh, Kareem Hunt. So obviously neither of these guys are going to be throwing 50-yard bombs down the field like the Mahomes or Herbert, right? So we're not going to see any explosive passing plays unless there's a blown coverage or, or something like that. So yeah, I, I agree with Kobe. I mean, you know, you look to Brissett, I think he's just at this point kind of the smarter quarterback and the more dependable option, but you could maybe argue that Trubisky's ceiling is a little bit higher, or if you wanted to kind of reverse that and say maybe his floor is a little bit lower just because he does have that ability to extend plays. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's kind of just like the Carson Wentz guideline or the Carson Wentz you know, rule almost where it's, okay, you know which quarterback's going to be safer for you, and I completely agree with what Kobe's been saying about Jacoby Brissett. Because, you know, he is a smart quarterback. He's a veteran quarterback. And I think he learned a lot of his uh, his football IQ in the years, obviously, when he was with New England under Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that overall he's just going to have a conservative type of mindset going out there when he knows his role. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you said it perfectly, Aaron. Mitch Trubisky, his ceiling when he's really on and when he really feels – you know, he can outmatch an offense, it's higher than Jacoby's because Jacoby's going to do, as Kobe said, just the bare minimum to kind of manage the game and perhaps get you a win. But I don't want to really, I don't want to slander Mitch Trubisky as much as Kobe did. No offense, Kobe, but <laughs> it happens. Um, I mean, Mitch Trubisky, Aaron said it, they played with a fossil last year, the Steelers, in Ben Roethlisberger. He really was just Every time he dropped back, he looked as though he was going to make a mistake or he was going to throw uh, into tight coverage. And Trubisky, while he hasn't had the greatest of starts to the season, uh, had a 55.3% completion percentage week one with a 78 passer rating. I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but 194 yards with one touchdown and a week one win against the AFC champions. I know Burrow played awful. I get it. But that's not too shabby in your first week as a starting quarterback. And then you face the Patriots, who have notoriously a better defense, especially this year, than their offense. And one touchdown, one interception. You'd love to see the yards go up, but long story short, he's got some weapons over there in Pittsburgh. And as Aaron mentioned as well, I mean, so far in the season, it's only week two. So the kind of assumptions we're making at this point, you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt. And so I'm going to take your opinion on Mitch Trubisky with a grain of salt because I think it's just you need to see a few more weeks, especially when he gets into these divisional games. Uh, you know, obviously tomorrow night versus the Browns is going to be his big first test in that rivalry. So I expect him to have a decent game as far as who really is going to outbattle each other. Uh, I'm still going to ride with Brissett, but don't be surprised to see Mitch Trubisky start to <laughs> trend on Twitter again <laughs> after uh, tomorrow night's game. Trubisky last week against the Patriots, 21 of 33 for 168 yards, passing with a touchdown and an interception, and uh, he only ran one time for seven yards and knocked it into the end zone. And so I, I figure that, you know, whichever way uh, the game ends up going, it should be a good one because both these teams, uh, through their first two weeks, have been in some pretty tight contests. Browns won their opener 26-24 over the Panthers. Um, in week one, and then obviously the loss to the Jets on Sunday was just a one-point game. Uh, Pittsburgh opened up their season. Danny talked about it, losing to the Browns on the road by three, twenty-three to twenty, and then they or they beat the they beat the Bengals. Wow, yeah. sorry, um, <laughs> had me confused. For yeah, okay, so they beat the Bengals. My I'm getting my AFC North uh, teams confused here, and then they lost to the Patriots last week on the road, seventeen to fourteen. So. 
they've been in some tight games, both of these teams. So you figure with the AFC North kind of stigma around this game as well, should be a uh, again uh, should be you know a fight from beginning to end. It should be a pretty good one, pretty close one as well. So Browns and Steelers tomorrow, eight fifteen to get week three of the NFL season underway. We're already starting week three. It it seems like every year the NFL season just I mean, after week one, it just breezes by, and so already in week three here. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, T-Bit talking about the National Football League, and we're going to go local here and talk about the Birds. The Eagles holding Justin Jefferson to just 48 receiving yards on Monday night as they beat Minnesota 24-7. Eagles now 2-0, and uh, tied with the Giants atop the NFC East, and they look pretty good. They, they look as advertised. You knew coming into the year – on paper, their roster was one of the better ones, not only in the NFC, you know, East, but I, I think the entire conference, and you can argue the entire lead. I mean, they've got names up and down this roster, and on Monday night, one of their big names have just put on a show. Darius Slay did an excellent job on Justin Jefferson, um, and so I mean, you know, Danny, when when you have a guy like that in your secondary who kind of steps up and and can be a superstar like Darius Slay has kind of turned into the last couple of years in, in Philadelphia. We we knew that he was, you know, a Pro Bowl caliber corner in Detroit, but the last couple of years he's been one of the best in, in, in all of football. And so when you have that, combined with Jalen Hurts, who had the question marks surrounding him this offseason, stepping up and having a huge damn on Monday night and, and just kind of through the first couple of weeks proving a lot of people wrong, this Eagles team all of a sudden – you know, you looked at the rest of the conference and, you know, you started plucking out teams like, you know, a Tampa Bay. I know Green Bay had, had the kind of blunder in week one, which they usually seem to do, but uh, they're there as well. I mean, you looked at the Eagles and you figure this division is is definitely winnable, definitely winnable. Um, and so you start looking, you know, at, at the other teams and you figure that the Eagles roster can kind of stack up with, with the best of them, can't they? I would say so, but at the same time, I think everyone needs to take a step back, including specifically Philadelphia fans. I was at the game on Monday working it. I'm a game day staff member for the Eagles, and you know, you said it best there, Aaron. Whenever, honestly, I'll say this: whenever Kirk Cousins went to drop back, when you know if he was inside uh, the Eagles' 30-yard line, that coverage is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And it seemed after that first slay interception, I know everyone kept saying he should have had four that night because he batted a few away, had four pass deflections and two interceptions. I mean, just remarkable from slay, but it seemed as every time he jumped up for that ball, he was going to come down with it just because as that coverage got tighter and tighter, he had less room to work with. He was not as productive as a quarterback in comparison to how he was, you know, getting them into that position. So I think a lot of Darius Slay's uh, success is definitely credited to Kirk Cousins just because I mean, we know how he plays on primetime games. He's not very good. I believe his record is 10 games below 500 in primetime games and 2-10, and 10, I believe, on Monday Night Football. So it's just absurd how improductive he is. But overall, I mean, you're right, Aaron. They're definitely making some waves. They're opening some eyes. They have two of the top 10 rushers in the NFL with Miles Sanders coming in at 7 and Jalen Hurts at 10 as a quarterback with Lamar Jackson below him. So... Just to put it into perspective, I mean, they have been making some waves, but I'm not ready to quite, you know, jump on the bandwagon yet. They beat the Vikings, and while the Vikings beat the Aaron Rodgers Week 1 performance, I don't think they're a great football team. I still think they're, at, you know, a 500 football team at best. So, great win, especially at home. Creates a lot of momentum, but they still have a lot of work to do. The defense, though, I will say, much, much improved mm -hmm. from Week 1. 
the tackling as well. The defensive line looked elite, and they looked the farthest thing from that in Detroit. Yeah, Jonathan Dannon's uh, squad, I mean, maybe of his tenure, the the, the best defensive performance yeah. that they've put on so far uh, on Monday night. And, Nick, I, I saw you clapping it up when Danny admitted that, you know, it's time to maybe take a step back. And that is commendable, especially from a Philly fan, not getting too riled up in, in a win um, like that. But, I mean, again, uh, going to focus on kind of the Jalen Hurts side of things here. You got to love what you saw from him. I mean, the way that he is is able to, you know, I mean, just make that offense so dynamic. We know how good the Philly Russian attack was last year with Hurts. And this year, I mean, he might be even better. And, again, it's been kind of no secret that each year from the time he was a freshman um, in college, Jalen Hurts has just progressed and progressed and progressed. He's gotten better and better and better. And with the conversations coming into this year, this is Hertz's year to prove it. Otherwise, they may look to go after a quarterback in the offseason. Through two weeks, he's made a pretty good case to be the guy moving forward here. I I don't know if you agree, but... Yeah, he's definitely opened up my eyes. Going into this season, I was like, he's going to be horrible. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure, especially you got A.J. Brown, you give him another weapon, and we even said it at the draft special, I was like, you still don't have the quarterback. You have A.J. Brown, but you don't have the quarterback. And thank God Danny said, he was like, yeah, we got to pump the brakes here as the media. Because in my mind, Eagles, two big wins. The Vikings, they're not that good of a team. It's just really Justin Jefferson. Also with the Lions, yeah, we've seen it on hard knocks. They're a very hardworking team. But still with the Eagles' schedule, it's such an easy schedule. They're going to win a lot of games. That defense was great. Darius Slay completely shut down Justin Jefferson. And Jalen Hurts has really been lights out, especially in that running offense. A lot of teams are going to have a lot of trouble stopping that. But still, I mean, heading into the playoffs, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule right now. You play the Steelers, the Texans, the Commanders, the Colts who haven't looked good, the Titans who haven't looked good. You play the Jaguars. Their really toughest game is going to be against the Packers. And if you can can win that game, then there's going to be a lot of buzz, but we won't know because that game's not until December. It was kind of the same conversation last year to an extent that – you know, they, they surprised a lot of people. They go out, they win nine games. Jalen Hurts takes a step um, when he when uh, he becomes the full-time starter um, at quarterback, and they have this great rushing attack and all this, and Nick Sirianni figures it out after kind of struggling to begin the year. It, it, it was a great story, but at the same time, there was a conversation last year that their schedule was a – it was kind of easy. It was, it, not, not a take walk, obviously. It's never a take walk in the NFL, but – it was a schedule that was pretty favorable last year, and they did it, you know, take advantage of it like good teams do, and they go out and win nine games. But it's certainly an interesting point you bring up, Nick, that, yeah, I mean, uh, up until that Patrick game, all winnable games against teams that, you know, are, are either kind of fighting to be fringe playoff teams or they're just kind of stuck in, in no man's land at this point. Um, you look at a team like Washington with, with Carson Wentz, they're just trying to figure stuff out, and Lions are uh, kind of, up-and-coming team, um, dropped a bunch of points on Washington on Sunday, so they look good for the second week in a row offensively. But, yeah, pretty interesting conversation kind of with the Eagles. And, Kobe, I just want to get your thoughts on this really quick. Um, I, I mean, when when you look at this Eagles team and, and the defense kind of finally coming together, I know it was just one game, obviously, but when you lock up Justin Jefferson, who just torts the Packers' defense and really – was turning all these heads after week one. When you go out there and make a statement like that, it's got to just add to your momentum, right? And they're playing so good as it is with Hurts at quarterback and just the dynamic running game. They're kind of firing on all cylinders right now. And I did see a stat, by the way, 
according to Pro Football Focus, hurts their two weeks. He's got one of the best passer um, grades on PFF of any quarterback uh, in the league. So he's doing it all right now. Yeah, no, I they are coming together as a team, but I agree with both Nick and Danny. You can't you can't crown them that early and say they're going to be a contender. Right. I think winning the East, I think that one that's that's a given at this point. But it's way too early, and their schedule for a, yeah, like Nick said, it's going to be a long time till they actually have an actual threat they have to try against. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't see any real effort. Like and in the division, there's not really a threat, no. is there? I mean, the Giants are 2-0, and but, like, I haven't watched the Giants game. The Giants. Like, this is a good team. But here's the thing about the Giants. They're off, they're offensive, and they're often still terrible. Their yeah. line is is horrific, and they lost Leonard Williams. Yeah. Which, he's their best defender, and that's made them even worse, despite them being, like, 2-0. and Yeah, look, the Giants, they're 2-0, and but, I mean, Kobe, you, you said it. I mean, they've still got Daniel Jones at quarterback, yeah. so, it, you know, at some point, you hate to admit it because I, I do like Brian Dable there in New York, um, but something's going to go wrong there. And then obviously I think this, the biggest threat to them division-wise is still probably Dallas, even though Dak is not there anymore. But Drupal Rush played pretty darn well against Cincinnati Bengals, on Sunday. So. Yeah, so drove him down the field on, on uh, the last drive of the game and, and got them in field goal range, and, and Dallas wins on a, a buzzer-beating field goal there. So interesting uh, stuff with the Eagles. They are 2-0, and so... Again, living up to expectations so far uh, through a couple weeks here in 2022. Uh, going to take a quick step off, quick break here on offsides. But uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, kind of discuss the other Monday night game and go over uh, the Bills win, and then we'll move into some baseball stuff and uh, maybe some NBA later uh, before we get to our top five to finish things off. But first, before we go to break, we do have to check the WGLS campus calendar. Would you like to explore your Nets career opportunity or prepare for your Nets bid interview? Well, Rowan University's Office of Career Advancement is here to help you with your resume, cover letter, and interviewing techniques. The OCA specializes in one-on-one career counseling, job search strategies, and self-assessments to suit your interest. Take advantage of their career workshops, job fairs, and other special events throughout the year. Stop by the OCA in Savitz Hall or visit them at sites.rowan.edu. OCA. This campus calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for campus news and information. More offsides when we come back. What's your pop flavor? Get into pop flavor every Monday through Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. Home of the hottest pop hits on the market. From Selena Gomez to Justin Timberlake, Drake, and more. It's a lot of bad things that they wish and wish and wish. You know what's good? Stop by for a taste of pop flavor. Pop flavor. Yo, pop rocks on pop flavor. Monday through Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. On Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. When someone hears the words, you have cancer, it's one of the darkest moments in their life. Light the Night brings light to the darkness of cancer by uniting survivors, patients, and supporters in the cause to end cancer. We form a community of hope, raising funds in support of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The discoveries made by LLS-supported research have led to breakthrough treatments for many cancers and other serious diseases. When we walk, cancer runs. Join the movement to end cancer today. Visit us at lightthenight.org. 
Offsides, Roman Radio Channel 2. I'm Aaron Hook, your Wednesday host here on September the 21st, the year of our Lord, 2022. It is another beautiful Wednesday in Glassboro, and I'm joined by Danny Ryan, Kobe O'Brien, and Nick Carlson for this edition of Offsides. And we've been talking NFL. We're going to keep it in the National Football League and go over the other Monday night game that took place on on that doubleheader that uh, the NFL seems to kind of do once a year. And um, I, I, I saw a tweet beforehand, just by the way, that they were going to try out some red zone type deal on Monday night with the two games. Now, I'll be honest. I was only watching the Philly game. I wasn't watching the Bills. So I don't know if they were going back and forth or anything like that. But I don't know I don't know if you guys saw anything. I saw it on ESPN. It wasn't like red zone. It was more of just like, hey, here's what's going on with this game. But it was like more frequent than you right. would see it on yeah. CBS. I feel like, I mean, trying to red zone, I, obviously it's an air quotes. Just red zone, you've got six, seven games going mm-hmm. on at once. So it's like almost impossible to replicate that with just the two games. But just thought that was kind of cool that ESPN might be delving into some stuff there. But... Uh, we are going to focus on the other Monday Night Dam, and that is the Bills and the Titans. Titans, the defending AFC champs from last year. Um, they go to Buffalo, and they get stomped. I mean, the Bills look like the best team in football right now. Um, I mean, they handle business easily to open up the season against the Rams in L.A. Um, it wasn't really close in that one, and then it was never close in this one. I mean, the Bills are just... They're a juggernaut, man. They really are. Josh Allen continues to make the case for, you know, being the MVP this year and being the best quarterback in football. You can have the debates, but he's definitely up there. He's definitely one of the names in the conversation. And so, I mean, with the pieces that Buffalo added this offseason, Danny, they are kind of the clear favorites in the AFC. I think that's kind of a consensus at this point. Now, you have the teams out west um, with Kansas City and the Chargers and you know, you, you look to the north maybe and you figure maybe if Cincinnati bounces back from the couple losses to open the season, maybe they could get something going or, you know, even even a Baltimore, obviously, with that great rushing attack that they have. Uh, and, and the Ravens look pretty good as well through the first couple of weeks, which is going to segue into uh, kind of talking about maybe uh, a team that could challenge the Bills out of their own division. But for now, they just kind of look, Danny, like, no one is really close to them at this point. I mean, again, you can argue Kansas City, I think, but right now it's it's the AFC is, is the Bills to lose. Yeah, I would agree with you, and I think that the only team that you could argue at this point in the season two weeks through would be that Kansas City could kind of test them for the AFC. And, I mean, just looking at this box score in general, 38 passing attempts on a blowout for Josh Allen is kind of absurd to think about because they dominated that game really Ever since the Titans' first touchdown, they put on a burner and just absolutely took the game from there. 26 for 38, 317 yards, four touchdowns. Only thing that worries me about this team is their rushing attack. And I know when your passing attack is that good, I mean good enough to get Stephon Diggs 12 for 148 and three, you don't need to worry about it as much. But when James Cook is your leading rusher with attempts and yards on the night just because you got garbage time carries, when you face a good team like that, it's going to become a problem, and you have to, you know, you have to pace an offense. You can't drop back and expect Stephon Diggs to be wide open every time, or Dawson Knox, who really, I mean, let's talk about this as well. Their number two target, who is it? Dawson Knox, Isaiah Probably, McKenzie. Yeah, I mean, I Gabriel guess it's Davis? Davis at this point. Um, Davis is out right now. How long is he out for? A few weeks, or just is he coming back soon? I think he's out for just for a few. Yeah, it's not a, didn't uh, play. So season prolonged. But he's he's elite when he's there. 
So Knox got the second most targets in the game with five, and then behind him a bunch of guys were tied with three, like yeah. Isaiah McKenzie and Jake Kumaro as well. So he had two catches for, for 50 yards. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need, I think, obviously, more importantly, they'll be getting Gabe Davis back. They don't have to worry about that number two spot anymore because right. he looked great week one. But mm-hmm. that rushing attack is going to have to come out eventually. And I think James Cook could be that guy. Devin Singletary could be the two back. They don't trust Cook yet, so it's going to take some time, obviously, after that one play, one fumble in week one. Right. He's not off to a great start. So, yeah, I think that they are the clear-cut favorite in the AFC. But it's just a matter of time until these Broncos get going. It's just a matter of time oh. until these Dolphins don't, you know, start off terribly to a game and have to come back with six to a touchdowns these teams are going to start to be more consistent so expect a test sooner rather than later against the bills as far as monday night goes i mean the titans i think everyone knew going into it didn't stand a chance and josh allen just displayed that now as soon as you said the word broncos both men behind you in the other studio just flipped out i mean it, it was a reaction for sure and uh guys i'm gonna send it over to you Kobe. i'll, I'll start with you first i mean you had your hands up on your head there, man. Um, is there? Do you think there's any way that a team like Denver could challenge Kansas City or Buffalo in this AFC, or, or not really? I, I I'm still trying to comprehend what I just heard. What about Bro- the Broncos? Give you like shows hope? Nothing at this <laughs> point besides the pieces they have. Well, uh, you but know, Kobe. It goes back to the point I said before. It's week two, my man. Mm-hmm. It's week two. And the AFC has been hyped up for a long time coming into the season that it was going to be a very deep conference. And I think it is. Again, teams still need time to figure stuff out to Danny's credit. But when you do look at Denver through the first couple weeks, they don't look like they're going to be uh, challenging Kansas City or, you know, even even a Raiders team or anything like that. that. All I'm saying with that comment is give it time because – like Aaron just said, this conference is loaded. It and because is. of that, teams are going to start off poorly. And I think that's what – I mean, there's no excuse for the this loss to Seattle on Monday Night Football. I get it. But it's just – week one was weird as well. I mean, I'm not trying to bring excuses here. Teams are going to be better than you think they are right now just because the sole fact is week two. And let's be honest, guys weren't hitting in training camp. They were – you saw what they were wearing, the bubble wrap on their helmets and stuff. They weren't hitting. They have to get used to this again. So just give it some time. And so – with, with the Denver comment, sorry, go ahead, Kobe. Well, I think the biggest thing with Denver is that they lead the league in penalties, and I think that's a terrible stat that is hard to fight against mm-hmm. uh, early. I think that's that's typically one of the statistics that mm-hmm. once you lead that, it's very hard to come back from that. So that that's why I'm already like I think on Denver. Nate Hackett. Yeah, is, I see that is as kind of problem. the is one of the main reasons why Denver has, has not looked yeah. as good as they look on paper so far through a couple of weeks. His decision making and like Kobe said, the the penalties are a reflection of the head coach and the discipline um, of a team is a reflection of of the head coach. And so far, they haven't been good in, in either of those categories. So and going back to that Eagles point earlier about how Sirianni started off the year poorly last year and then finished nine and seven with a much worse team. It's not crazy to think he can come back from this, you know, what are they, 0-2 now at this point. It's not crazy at all. I just think it's a rookie coach, you know, rookie head coach, I should say, kind of just adjusting to this offense with, with, let's be honest, a good offense and a Hall of Fame quarterback. It takes some time. I see your concerns, I do, because leading the league in penalties like that for a team as good as they are, it's crazy. But just bear with me here, Kobe. It's going to happen. They're going to be a decent team. So, But not a threat. Go ahead. So a, a team a team that might be a threat. Danny did bring up the Broncos. And then in the midst of the, the chaos that ensued in the, uh, in the conference studio, he also slipped Miami uh, into the conversation. And I think that's a very interesting point. I had it on the itinerary coming in. We were going to talk about 
Bills Dolphins this Sunday. Now the Dolphins had a incredible comeback against Baltimore last Sunday. Lamar Jackson had that what seventy something yard touchdown run, and it was just kind of like, okay, Miami, they're not they're not up to the level of a Baltimore yet. And then Tua takes over the game. He finds Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill all over the place. Those two look like arguably Nick the best wide receiver duo in football, and they storm all the way back to win the game 38-35. Two six touchdowns. Now, I said on on Monday, I, I think, yeah, it must have been Monday because the game was played Sunday. Uh, I said on Monday when I was on offsides um, with Larry hosting, more than half of Tua's yards were probably after the catch with uh, Waddle and Hill and other guys making plays because yeah. that's just kind of the offense they run at this point. It's a lot of dink and dunk over-the-middle stuff, and, then it's Tyreek and, and Waddle, go, go make a play for me. But still, to a great performance on Sunday, is Miami a team that can maybe challenge Buffalo with that electric offense? They match up this Sunday, so it's going to be kind of a teaser. We'll get to see a little bit. It's so tough because just like Danny kept saying, it's only week two, and we saw in that one big game the explosiveness between Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I just don't know because I feel like you're limited at quarterback, but you have such a great coach in Mike McDaniel that he's able to kind of scheme those things up for them. Right. It's tough because I feel like Sunday is going to really show us kind of what the Dolphins are. I think if the Bills make it past the Dolphins and then week six they play the Chiefs, if they make it past that game and they still haven't lost a game, they're not losing a game this season because you got to play the Jets twice. you still got to play the Dolphins. you got to play the Jaguars, Titans, Colts. You're playing the whole AFC South. I feel like if you're the Bills here, no one can really challenge you. And to go back to what Danny and Kobe were talking about, for the Broncos – you still got to play the Chargers twice. You got to play the Chiefs twice. You got to play the Raiders twice. That's six potential losses right there. I feel like it's still so early. You don't know what these teams are made of, but from what we've seen, Dolphins very good, very explosive. Broncos, it's it's a handful. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I'm still out on the Broncos. I'm I, I guess I guess the case is still out or whatever the expression is. Yeah, I'm yeah. still waiting for the Broncos. I think. Um, I do agree with you guys. They they haven't looked good in a lot of areas and. Russell Wilson, at one point on Sunday after the Jets game, I was still kind of taking in what just happened, as I'm sure you were, Nick. And I was just kind of chilling in my room, kind of scrolling through social media. I wasn't really watching Red Zone when the late window games came on. And I just heard from from my TV, Scott Hansen was like, Russell Wilson is 4 of 15 right now. And I was like, oh, dear, that's Oof. that's not great. Uh, so let Russ cook hasn't been a – Hasn't been too successful through the first couple of weeks, but again, he's obviously a great quarterback. So we'll see if uh, him and him and his new team can figure some stuff out. So that's the NFL uh, for this Wednesday edition of Offsides. Brown Steelers tomorrow night to take off week three. Now we are going to move to Major League Baseball, and for the second week in a row on a Wednesday, the top storyline I see Kobe shaking his head is Mr. Aaron Judge. Um, so last night, top uh, bottom of the ninth inning, Yankees are down. Nine to five at that point, or no? I'm sorry, eight to five, eight to four, eight to four at that point. <laughs> wow, it took me a while. Eight to four to the Pittsburgh Pirates, the lowly Pirates. But the fans were still on their feet when Aaron Judge came up in the bottom of the ninth, and that's because he was trying to tie Babe Ruth uh, for the sixty home runs in a season, and he did so in that bottom of the ninth. He sends one over the left field wall. Pretty cool story. Uh, a 20-year-old kid got the ball, uh, and him and his friends met Judge after the game. They got signed baseballs and all that for in exchange for the ball. So a uh, pretty cool moment there for them. 
Um, but Judge now has 60 home runs, so he ties Babe Ruth for second all-time in the Yankees' history. He's now just one away from tying Roger Maris for the AL record, and he's two away from obviously breaking it. Um, so, I mean, Judge doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon. There's 15 games left, guys. Colby, I'll start with you. Does he tie it tonight? Does he tie it tonight, or does he wait until the Red Sox come into town later in the week to do it against Boston? That'd be pretty sick. I think he ties it tonight, and I said it last week, so I'm obviously going to back up what I said. <laughs> That's true. Uh, they're pa- they're playing against a 22-year-old pitcher, and Judge is, start- is, is I think he's leading all yep, the game. Yep, he is. And the last time they played the Pirates in Pittsburgh, he lit them up for three straight games. Yep. So I, I think with the lack of experience at, at like the, as a starting pitcher and Judge – coming off the momentum of starting a rally that led to a walk-off Grand Slam, mm-hmm. I think he's going to take it and I think he's going to get it to the game. I was going to say, you forgot one key, well, one yes, key point in I that did. game. I did, yes. Yeah, so Judge hits the homer um, to make it 8-5. to five. Yankees then rally, and then Stanton hits the walk-off home run. Uh, the walk-off Grand Slam, I should say. So it was a 9-8 to eight comeback win for the Yankees last night. So all smiles all around. It would have been a little awkward, right, if Judge hits 16 and they lose by 3 to Pittsburgh. It's like... Okay, you know, Judge obviously in the interview post game would have been like, oh, well, we lost, so it doesn't matter. That's just kind of the guy he is. But got to talk about the win in that one as well. Do you think there's any chance he, he um, I just breaks the record tonight, Kobe? You think he can get two tonight? I mean, I, I guess he's hit two in multiple games over the last month, so. Yeah, I think he has, I, I think, more than 10, like, multi hit. Yeah, he probably does at this point. Sounds I'm, about I'm right. For it. I think he will. I yeah, think you think will. he's the breaking it tonight? The Pirates are the Pirates. So, Roanzi Contreras is the starter for Pittsburgh tonight. He's a very talented young pitcher, like you said, Kobe. He's, he's 22 years old. Um, so, Judge is going to be leading off. He'll have him first guy he'll face in the bottom of the first. So, he's got a chance to tie the record then. Nick, okay, so I think we're all in agreement that he's going to break the record this season. That's pretty set in stone. But, if you had to give me a number, where do you think he ends up in terms of home runs? Do you think he gets close to 70? you think he hits like 68, 69? Or do you think he kind of settles at like 64 or something like that? I think he settles down. He won't hit one tonight. I think There's 15 games left. So They got what? They got the Red Sox coming for four games mm-hmm. in what? In two days, I'm guessing? Uh, Yeah, so they got the Pirates tonight and then, yeah, Boston. I think he's not going to get one in like the first three games of the Red Sox game, and then everyone's going to start to panic, and they're going to be like, oh, "Can he get there?" And then like in that last Red Sox game, he'll hit two, and then it'll be like this whole big event. I think realistically, he'll be in like the mid 60s. Mm-hmm. I think if he hits one, if he t- if he hits like two tonight, and then like two tomorrow, and goes on this like tear to yeah. end out the season, he might get close to 70. Yeah, right? then like we could be looking at 70s. Um, I just think it's funny because like the more home runs he hits, the odds of him coming back to the Yankees just. Kind of start to simmer Dwindles. down. We'll cross that bridge when we have to. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's crossed that bridge already. But I don't. I know you don't like those Red Sox comments he made a few weeks ago. So he's not. Yeah. Oh, there's some Mets comments too now. Yeah, oh. your two biggest nightmares oh. are coming true. I just, just give him a blank check at this point. What would be worse, Kobe? If he goes. Okay, this might be a dumb question, but for me, I'm not really like I don't. I don't have a lot against the Mets. To be completely, I don't hate the Mets, but. What do you think would be worse if he goes to Boston and you got to face him 19 times in the regular season, or he's a Met and he's on the other side of town now? And Mets fans get to kind of brag about it. Oh, I don't. Uh, Boston Mets could, Mets could brag all that. Okay, want. that's fair. Boston, yeah. if he, if I'm an agreement. <laughs> if he goes off as like a Red Sox, he'd be in my nightmares. Oh, yeah. The fact you have to see him so much, Mets exactly. you see him four times a, a season. Yeah, it'd be <sighs> very, very bittersweet to see him stay in New York or go to the Mets. Like it would be very, very infuriating if you're a Yankees fan. But there's just a different. 
level to going to the Red Sox. Like you are going from <laughs> the light side to the dark side. I, I if remember you're a Yankees fan when Jeter was a free agent. It must have been 2013, um, and there was a a picture in in a New York paper with him in a Red Sox jersey on. I mean, it was just the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen. I mean, it was ugh. I we're not going to get too deep into that, but. Man, if Judge is a Red Sox after after the season he's having, you, you, I mean the, the front office is done to go. Brian Cashman, you got to go. But again, like Kobe said, it's a bridge that hopefully we don't have to cross. Um, but I guess we will when we come to it in the off season. Um, so Judge, he's got a chance to tie the record, maybe even break the record tonight for the uh, long-standing AL home run record set by Roger Maris in nineteen sixty-one with sixty-one home runs. So uh, we will see how that plays out tonight. By the way, one last thing. Roger Maris did say his his sons. Uh, he's got Roger Jr. and then he has another son. I'm blanking on his name right now, uh, but them and other members of his family are going to be in attendance um, tonight. I, I'm assuming for the entire Red Sox series as well until he breaks it. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, so we're going to stay one more topic here in the MLB, and uh, with the Mets beating Milwaukee last night, um, you look to the NL playoff picture, and again we kind of talked last week about some spots solidifying a little bit. Um, and again, really the only kind of what if right now is that NL East. And it's the Phillies with two and a half games up on Milwaukee for that wild card spot. But uh, I, I'm pretty faithful that the Phillies are going to sneak in there as the final wild card team. Um, and then obviously the Mets and the Braves are separated by just a game and a half. So kind of a little bit of, of uh, moving parts there in the NL and the AL. You've got the Astros, Yankees, and Indians all with pretty significant leads in their division. Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners right now um, are all at least five games up on the Orioles, who are the only real team close to, I guess them in Chicago, um, are the only real two teams looking uh, from the outside looking in who still have a chance, really. Um, but, you know, if if we looked at some matchups that would be going on right now if the season ended today, so Houston and and the Yankees would have the bye in the American League, Dodgers and Mets in the NL. So the Phillies would have the Cardinals in a three-game wild card series. How do we how do we feel about that, Danny? You know, you looked at the pitching matchups. Obviously, you'll have Noah Wheeler, and then for your game three starter, you know, is it is it Cindergard or is it somebody else? Syndergaard's out of the rotation. I don't know if you know that. Really? He has been booted. They are going okay. with Kyle Gibson, who allowed seven earned runs yesterday over him. So Bailey, take with that. Bailey Falter, maybe? He's in the rotation three? as well. <laughs> he's in the rotation as well now. And he's been pitching great. But yes. just want to add that Noah Syndergaard is now in the bullpen with no velocity. I did not so we'll know see how that. that goes. Yes. Thank you for uh, for updating me there. So maybe Syndergaard, we don't see him uh, in the postseason, at least as a starter. So that'll be interesting. They would have St. Louis. Um, and then again, I mean, they're only a game and a half behind San Diego. So if you get to San Diego, then you get to take on a team you're more familiar with, which would either be the Mets um, or the Braves at that point. So, you know, I, would you rather face a divisional rival, even though the Mets and Braves are both better teams than, than the Cardinals, or would you take your chances going to St. Louis? I mean, you you heard my standpoint on the Phillies last week. I think they'll make the playoffs by the skin of their teeth, but they're not going anywhere in my opinion. So to me... It doesn't doesn't matter. But if I had to choose, I think just for entertainment purposes, I would go with the divisional rival just to have that type of, you know, atmosphere and, you know, everything on the line, three games decided. I would like that more. At the same time, though, the Cardinals are the only team you have a chance of beating. If you were to get a perfect game from NOLA game one, 
you know, barring Wheeler takes the number one position, he just got back from the IL. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whoever they throw in that, you have to at least get max one or two runs allowed by your starting pitcher. That's the only way you're going to survive because Nick Castellanos might not be back by then. He's still injured. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are banged up, and this lineup, let's be honest, when Bryce is not producing, they're not good unless you're getting a two-home run game from either Reese or JT. And Schwarber, we know he only, you know, it, the list goes on. So I have, if I had to pick, I would choose St. Louis. Um, that's the only team we really have the chance of beating as far as winning goes. But just for overall atmosphere and just entertainment purposes, I'd have to go with divisional rival. But like I said before, I mean, the Phillies are on a five-game losing streak right now. Last week, everything was looking up. They had been beating, beating up on the Nationals, Pirates, Marlins. Everyone thought they might be back. And they faced teams of at least any competition and now they're on a five-game losing streak. So that's the 2022 Philadelphia Phillies for you right there. <laughs> TED Talk over. I'd rather face St. Louis, but doesn't matter. We're not moving on. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes um, for Philly. Uh, we'll see where they kind of end up. And Again, they're only a game and a half back of that, um, I guess, I guess the third wild card spot. There's four technical wild card teams, even though one of them is going to be a, a division winner. The top two spots in the NL did a bye. So then in the AL... Uh, I'm going to throw it over uh, to Nick. When you look at the top two teams, it's Houston and the Yankees. And then you've got Cleveland, who is most likely going to win the Central. They've got five games up on the White Sox and eight on the Twins at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, Cleveland just looks like the better team. They've uh, won eight of their last ten. Um, they've got probably the best rotation out of those three teams. And then you've got Toronto, Tampa, and Seattle are the three wild card teams right now. Do you think any of those four teams have it in them to beat either Houston or the Yankees in a five-game series and kind of shake up the AL playoff picture a little bit? Or is it almost kind of like writing on the wall that we're getting another Astros-Yankees ALCS? I don't think there's any type of possible shot that the Yankees or Astros won't be in that ALCS. I think maybe, if anything, I think the Blue Jays could kind of squeak by if they have a huge offensive night. But still, I mean... Just looking at pitching, no one can compare to the Astros, and their their offensive explosiveness has been good. I think like the Mariners in the beginning of the season looked very good. Looked like kind of they were coming together. Julio Rodriguez has been really good, but for the most part, I don't really think in a five game series, even a seven game series, even if it was a three game series, mm-hmm. I don't think a single team can challenge them. I think that the majority of the competition comes from the NL. I think every team in that NL can beat each other. I think even when you're looking at the at the the six seed. I don't know if the Phillies can really beat the Dodgers, but they can definitely pressure them. I think the Padres Play well can pressure them in the regular season exactly. in L.A. too. They can so. pressure them. The Braves can pressure them. The Mets are losing guys like Flies right now. They just dropped Brandon Nimmo. I think the Cardinals can be good too. I think that's where the majority of the battles and competition is going to be. Yeah, I think the NL, for, for sure, I'd agree, is going to be kind of more of a bloodbath. Um, but the AL, I mean, again, you have those top two teams in, in Houston who's going to win over 100 games, and then the Yankees who – before that collapse, after the All-Star break, uh, we're on pace to win well over 100 games. So I think clearly the best two teams in the AL. But, uh, Colby, I'll go to you before um, we take a quick step off for another break. Um, you know this. The Yankees have had their struggles, especially against Tampa and Toronto over the years. They've you know, not exactly dominated them uh, in division. You know, like they have a, a Baltimore. Obviously, this year they've handled Boston. Um, but Toronto and Tampa have given them some problems. Um, and so if they get matched up with one of those two teams, 
it, it could be a pretty dicey five-game series. We saw in the COVID year the Yankees lose to the Rays in a five-game series. So what do you think about that? Would you be a little bit nervous if you get a hot Toronto team in, in the ALDS? I wouldn't. Not Toronto, but definitely Tampa. Tampa. T- Tampa. <laughs> I, I would Tampa's have to agree. The only two teams I'm scared of are Houston and Tampa, and that's it. I think that's the only teams that could compete with the Yankees in, in the AL. Kobe, I'll let you finish on that, but I just have to agree with that. I, I'd be more, or pardon me, disagree with that. I'd be more scared of Toronto than I would Tampa. I agree with that. I think I would only agree with Kobe just because the Yankees have, they just have an issue with the Rays. They just do. They just, I don't know. Tampa is like the thorn yeah. in their side for some reason. No, no, Toronto's definitely the better team, but just as watching the games, like they, they've, yeah, they've, they've just got the Yankees number yeah. for some reason. Yeah, and and it's f- weird. That was with the Phillies, and they couldn't beat the Marlins. They finally mm-hmm. broke that streak this year. I get it. There's <laughs> teams like that where you just get a bad feeling, mm-hmm. but something about you know looking at Tampa and having them with only like 82 wins right now. Uh, Toronto shouldn't, in my opinion, be an only an 84-win team. I think they have a little bit holding them back as far as the coaching aspect goes because the talent that's on that roster is unbelievable. But I know I'm not seeing these Yankees games. I'd have to go Toronto just because that offense, like Nick mentioned, I mean, that it could explode any night and win you a ball mm-hmm. game with these. So uh, the Blue Jays, as Danny knows, put up, what, 18 runs yesterday? I don't, don't want to talk about it. The Phillies also put up like 14, by the way. So, uh, you know, when you get a 14-run game from your favorite team, you might expect them to easily win that one. But, no, they lost by four, 18 to 14. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, fellas. Yep. This is what I'm talking about. This, this is not a gimmick. This is not something that Danny Ryan is blowing hot air out because he wants to. This is a real problem. The Phillies, they have a collapse coming if they enter the postseason. <laughs> wow. That's at least the Phillies pitching looked good that game, you know? Which are you are Nick. you talking about last night? Because <laughs> Kyle Gibson, seven earned runs against Toronto, man. He shouldn't even be on an MLB roster at this point. Send in a triple A. Nick's trying to start some controversy here, but I will I will cut the tension and we will go to break before things get out of hand. Um so we're gonna take a look at the WGLS community calendar really quick. The Samaritan Center is a program that helps Glassboro residents with economic difficulties by providing free food once per month. You can give back to your community by donating food, clothes, or by volunteering your time. Email GlassboroFoodBank at gmail.com or visit online at GlassboroFoodBank.org. For more information, this community calendar is brought to you by Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM, your source for community news and information. Offsides, our top five when we return. Can't get enough of the oldies? Join me, Greg May. And me, Matty K. Every Saturday from 8 p.m. till midnight as we explore the top songs on the Billboard Hot 100 charts of yesteryear. You'll hear everything from the Bee Gees to the King of Rock and Roll, Chairman of the Board, and more. Each week features a special theme hour that'll have you rockin' and rollin' all night long. It's Saturday Night at the Oldies, every Saturday at 8 p.m. Only on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. 
Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM. This is Offside, your Wednesday edition here on RowanRadio.com Channel 2. I'm Aaron Hook, your host every Wednesday from 5 to 6 here on Offside, so be uh, sure to tune in next week as well and beyond and beyond and beyond for the rest of the semester. I'm joined with Danny Ryan, our sports director, as well as Kobe O'Brien and Mr. Nick Carlson in the other studio across from me. And so, fellas, we have reached our top five, and um, again, in uh, in true Larry Dealman fashion, uh, I've actually kept it a secret. I wasn't even really like consciously keeping it a secret. I I just don't think I ever really brought it up uh, in the show, at least today. But it is our top five players in the NFL right now. So, I mean, you could base it off as recent as like as like two days ago, you know, so like as week two ended, you could give your top five players um, as of literally right now, right this second in the NFL. Um, or, you know, I mean, you could have your kind of premonitions and, and whatever if you don't want to factor some stuff into it, but pretty straightforward. Top five players in the NFL right now, and let's see what we're going to start with. We'll start with we'll start with Kobe. We'll go Kobe O'Brien first. If you have that list ready, Kobe, give it to me. I gotta give it to Josh Allen. He's fourth in in passing yards, first in QBR, and tied for first with seven touchdowns. I I think that's pretty a solid pick. Number two, I have Lamar Jackson. I think if Josh Allen didn't exist, he would be this year's MVP through two weeks. Three, I have Herbert. Four, uh, I have four uh, A and four B, which is Diggs and Tyreek. And then five, I got to show some love to some defense. Uh, Micah Parsons, he has four sacks and leads the NFL in sacks. And then honorable mention of someone that's been really good this year is a Saquon. Leads, wow. Leads the NFL in rushing. Yeah, Saquon uh, obviously popped off in week one and good game against Carolina as well uh, in week two. Nick, I'll go to you. Your top five, you have an uh, honorable mention. Give it to me. Five through one. So I have at number five, I have Aaron Donald. Uh, even though if he doesn't get the sacks, he still puts a lot of pressure uh, on whatever team that he's facing. Uh, I have at four, I have Nick Chubb. And the reason I have him there is because of how good of a runner he is. He is the sole purpose. The Browns are even in games. You'll see on Thursday when all Browns are not, I'd say all NFL fans are watching, <laughs> not just Browns fans. You're going to see the type of runner he is. He completely changes the game. Um, but I'm going to say at number three, uh, I got Stephon Diggs. Uh, he's an exceptional route runner, and him and Josh Allen just have their chemistry completely down. Uh, he'll win a lot of fantasy leagues this year. Uh, but at number two, I got Michael Parsons. He was a monster against the Bengals. I think he's got, what, 18 sacks in his first 15 games yeah, or something? something ridiculous. There was a big stat that came out. But number one, uh, he's going to be the MVP. I'm bearing any injuries, Josh Allen. Uh, he's an unreal thrower of the ball, runner of the ball. He's going to win fantasy leagues for someone. He's going to probably win the Bills of Super Bowl this year, probably an MVP. I know it's a big <laughs> statement, but, yeah, I got him at number one. It, it's it's a fair one to make, Nick. It really is. I mean, there was the expectations of he's going to be doing all that this year. And so far through two weeks, he looks like he's on pace to uh, to do most of that. So Josh Allen at, at number one for the second straight list. Danny, are you going to continue the trend? You know, five through one. Don't spoil it yet, but give me your top five. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I like to say, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it a secret. We'll find out. All right. So <laughs> at number five, you know, I didn't really like 
pinpoint after week two or just in general in the NFL. So I'm kind of going to do a little bit of both. You okay. know, after week two performances, but what our assumption was right. coming into this season. Number five, I've got to throw some honorable mention towards, like, you know, I guess he's not getting the love he should, but Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I know that Colts offense has been putrid to start off the season, but he's still top three in rushing in the NFL, and uh, that just speaks for itself. You can really stink it up if you're the Colts, but you will never take the talent out of Jonathan Taylor. So he's going to throw at number five for me. Number four, I'm going to have to go with Tyreek Hill. I think that he silenced the doubters in his last game, obviously, and that come behind or come from behind, forty-two to thirty-eight win. He just exploded. He, you know, it wasn't Patrick Mahomes that was making him, and so that's why he's earned number four on my list. Number three, I'm gonna go Stephon Diggs. Kind of basic, but I think it's still, you know, it's very true. And he's gonna be the second wide receiver I have on my list. I'm gonna have three actually. Uh, but as we get up towards Stephon Diggs, I mean, he's proved it so far this season. Josh Allen might make him that much better, but Josh Allen, let's face it, was not as good without Stephon Diggs got or before Stephon Diggs mm-hmm. got there. So, uh, huge, huge receiver for the Bills, and obviously number three on my list. Number two, a guy that wasn't on either of your lists and that has seemingly been forgotten about over in Las Vegas, Devontae Adams. He's going to go at number two on my list. He's still having a productive year so far through two weeks. Has a worse quarterback. We expected slight production to uh, decrease, but he's still going to finish as one of the top wide receivers this year. And in my opinion, is still the best wide receiver in the NFL at this point. I wouldn't say through week two because Stephon Diggs is on a tear, but anyways. And the number one, I mean, come on, Josh Allen. <laughs> Josh Allen is the number one player in the NFL right now. And I mean, his stat line against the Titans on Monday just proved that. And, you know, if you disagree, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Josh Allen uh, seems to be um, the consensus number one. Uh, I may have him in a similar spot, perhaps. But I'll do a five through one here to end it off. At number five, I do have Tyree Till as well. Um, I mean, he's just he's just electrifying. He's had multiple games in his career where he's put up these just ungodly numbers uh, for a stat line. I mean, I remember the game. Was it last season or two seasons ago against, I believe it was the Bills, right? I think he had that huge game where he had like over 200-some yards receiving. So... Here, Nick, yards in the first half. What's up? Tyree killed 200 yards in the yeah, first half. Yeah, I, I mean, the Bucks. but, okay, sorry. So, thank you for uh, the correction there. But, yeah, I mean, he's just, the numbers he puts up and the way he's able to take the top off the defense, it's just unrivaled. Um, perhaps maybe only close is, is Jalen Waddle, his teammate. But and it seems he, like he's teaching him his ways. Right, he's not on Tyree's level yet, yeah. though. So, I will give it a Tyree at number five. And number four, uh, I did go Mike to Parsons. Um, and so, I mean, when you looked at when he came out of Penn State, the the type of player he was, I mean, Dallas has used him to his in you know full advantage as both a rusher and an off-ball linebacker. Uh, he's great in coverage, but as a pass rusher, he's one of the best in the NFL. I was going to put Miles Garrett in this spot, but I thought to myself, I'm like, right now, I think Michael Parsons is a better pass rusher, to be honest. Maybe not in the sense of that Darren is just such a disruptor. He's so huge that, like, you really can't block him. Parsons is so fast. I mean, he's just he's just a, a bolt of lightning. And as a defense, I mean, Parsons is one of the best after actually, like, getting after the quarterback and, and making those sacks and finishing plays. So I've got him at four. At three, I have Justin Jefferson, who, in my opinion, is the best receiver in the NFL. Danny said it was Devontae Adams. I can respect that. Um, although Adams, again, I am kind of using the – the logic where I'm trying to go off like right this very second. Mm-hmm. Adams against the Cardinals 
wasn't wasn't really in the game. Uh, they they kind of found a way to take him out of that game against Arizona last week. So, um, although Justin Jefferson, you know, six catches, forty eight yards, isn't exactly, you know, his type of usual performance either. Eagles did a great job on him with, with Darius Slay. Obviously, I still think he's got the edge as the best receiver in football. And number two, I do have Aaron Donald, uh, still the best defender in football, in my opinion. I mean, he's just he's just a rock. You can't block him. You've got to throw two, three guys at him uh, to even have a chance. And he's just the ultimate weapon defensively where you can line him up all across the uh, defensive line. He's a defensive tackle who plays like an edge rusher. It's, it's pretty ridiculous from what we've seen it, uh, from Aaron Donald at this point. And at number one, I do have to cave in and go with Josh Allen, uh, best quarterback in football now, best player, obviously, in all four of our opinions. And so I, I think we agree last week, um, the four of us that were here, it was me, um, us two, and then, oh, man, I can't even remember who was with Kobe in the, in the other studio. Jack. Might have been Jack. Yes, it was Jack. Thank you. So um, we all agree that the Bills were the best team in football, and this week we all agree that Josh Allen is the best player in football. And that is our top five. So That'll just uh, about wrap things up here on this Wednesday edition of Offsides. Thank you to my three co-hosts who joined me today, Danny Ryan, Kobe O'Brien, and Nick Carlson across from me. Again, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, 5 to 6. You can catch Offsides. Danny's going to be hosting uh, on Friday, so be sure to tune in for that. And, of course, come back next Wednesday when I'll be hosting uh, again as well. So, again, this has been Offsides. Have a great rest of your day, everyone, and I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. Tune in next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5.30 for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.